Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are live with the Osmo Waiver Wire Show, the week four edition. I am Makajeski, and I am here with my partner in crime, Kyle Dvorak. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Kajeski. You can follow him at Kyle Tweets here. Today, our title sponsor is Yahoo Fantasy. And before we get started, make sure you hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit that notification bell. So, you know, in this video and all other videos at Osmo Go Live, Let's see how many likes we can get in the chat today. Otherwise, main topic, hitting the waiver wire. Now, Kyle, it was not quite the injury bloodbath we saw Mm -hmm. from week two, but I think we do have a number of role changes to discuss this week. There are a few injuries, maybe going back to week two, a couple guys that perhaps are returning to gameplay. How did your, your week three go? And were there any just downright takeaways that everyone needs to know right off the bat? Yeah, like you said, it wasn't the it wasn't the bloodbath we saw last week. Not nearly as many injuries. Some notable ones we'll get to. There wasn't anything that was like the the weirdest thing. Honestly, was like Rex Burke had triple touchdown. I get James White wasn't active <laughs> again, but like like what? I just don't. Uh, God, what a what a. I'm not happy about that. Not happy when Rex Burke had scores three times because he's on. He's not that far off the map enough that it's impossible. It's just frustrating when Rex Burke does that to you. I even had him on the bench in one league, and I'm going to lose that league, so I'm not happy. Uh, outside of that, it was not a bad week. I had a lot of bills in DFS, and most of my season-long teams have been doing quite well because I've, I've gotten lucky in some sense and avoided the injuries for the most part. The guys I've been high on in best ball are doing particularly well. Scooped up a lot of DeAndre Hopkins when he was falling in draft stacked with Kyler Murray. So printing money there, not a bad week. Must be nice, Kyle. My only season-long team of high stakes had Saquon Barkley, George Kittle, Cam Akers, Tevin Coleman. So a little tough sailing for me. So I this is a very important show, near and dear to my heart. I've been active on the waiver wire to start the year, and this is another week I'm going to do so because I played Deion Lewis, who apparently doesn't have a role in New York anymore. Now, there's a bunch of guys that are still kind of either disappointing for fantasy. Maybe you picked up Deion Lewis and you need to replace him. Lucky for you, a lot of role changes occurred this past week. A couple names that we'll just talk about some some big takeaways, maybe some guys ascending in offenses. T. Higgins was one we have to watch. We saw John Ross come in as a healthy scratch. T. Higgins goes nine targets. He ends up with five catches, 40 yards, a pair of scores. Some were injury related. We saw Olamide Zacchaeus step up for an injured Julio Jones and Russell Gage goes down in that game with an injury. Were there any major role changes that 
I think you want to target on the waiver wire right away? So it's not the most priority target because DeAndre Hopkins is still just this target black hole. But like Andy Isabella is so much better than Christian Kirk. Andy Isabella is, I think, like tied six on the team in targets and is second on the team in receiving yards. Like it is so incredibly unsurprising when you look at what he was able to do at UMass and then you look at like the two or three targets he got last year that this dude is either going to score touchdowns or make long plays happen. I'm, I'm not excited to start him because of how many targets we're going to see go to DeAndre Hopkins, but like. I swear to God, if Cliff tries to trot out Christian Kirk again next week, assuming Kirk is healthy, I'm going to lose it. Andy Isabella is just, he's the number two. He should be the number two receiver by a wide margin. I don't want to see any more Larry Fitzgerald. Please, God, no more Christian Kirk. Give me all the Andy Isabella. I'm not awfully excited to start him because, you know, you're not going to get a ton of targets when DeAndre Hopkins is racking up, you know, 100-yard games left and right. But, man, Andy Isabella looks awesome. Outside of that, nothing crazy. T. Higgins definitely had some mental errors, but – the targets are there for him, and it's an offense that I think is at least going to be exciting. Maybe not the best offense in the NFL by any means, but if they're both going to have John Ross as a healthy scratch, and then early in the year, I believe they had uh, Auden Tate as a healthy scratch. Neither of these guys figures to play a massive role. So some young receivers, some young second-round picks that are uh, just, man, I am excited about young receivers right now. For sure. I initially thought T. Higgins, uh, maybe his role would be down the road because, of course, A.J. Green's in the franchise tag. And John Ross is gone after this season, presumably, but they make John Ross the healthy scratch and T Higgins time came a little sooner than I think we were initially expecting on the Andy Isabella front. I mean, we got to start banging the drum. It's Andy Isabella time, except Arizona didn't exactly turn over the reins to him. They played 65 offensive snaps. DeAndre Hopkins, of course, 61 of those Larry Fitzgerald 56, but wide receiver three was surprised. Keyshawn Johnson played 46 of 65 offensive snaps. Andy Isabella, just 26 of 65. We saw how efficient Andy Isabella was. I mean, throughout his entire NFL career at this point, I don't know what this guy has to do to actually absorb a meaningful role in the offense for, for Arizona, but I'm with you. I hope it happens sooner rather than later. A couple other ascending players. We saw LaMichael P. Ryan handle nine carries. I think if you're adding LaMichael P. Ryan right now, you're hoping that Adam Gaze gets fired and then they actually implement a, a reasonable head coach. We saw Anthony McFarland take over that backup change of pace role for Benny Snell. Maybe there's some interest there. I, we're still kind of in handcuff territory. Brian Hill worked his way into a timeshare with Todd Gurley. John Brown has a calf injury that allowed Gabriel Davis to get on the field a little bit more. He's a, a, a pretty surprising rookie coming out of UCF. I wasn't expecting a ton of him this year. And, you know, like, First and foremost, we need to talk about Greg Ward now. Former AAF superstar Greg Ward. The Eagles are now without Dallas Goddard and Deshaun Jackson, presumably leaving Greg Ward in there to, I don't know, function as this team's wide receiver one or two. Anything really sticking out there as far as, far as big takeaways and changing roles? Yeah, I think you have to look at Greg Ward because guys like Gabriel Davis, like I, I don't think as long as John Brown plays, and I don't think this injury is expected to be long-term. There hasn't been much news on it, but it seemed like it was – uh, more of just like a, a short-term pull or a strain or maybe even just cramps. Gabriel Davis, Olmid Zacchaeus all seem to have at best limited upside. Grant Ward could reasonably function as his team's number one receiver for, I don't know, the next five, six, seven weeks. Like maybe Alshon Jeffrey comes back and takes that, but are we sure he is any better than Greg Ward at this point? Honestly, I'd probably bet on Greg Ward. Ward got 11 targets, which not only was like incredible, but it led the team. It was like over a 25% target share, I think. So I would say Ward, you kind of have to look at him. And he, he does profile as more of a mundane slot receiver. 
But if the Eagles are going to be losing a lot, which, oh my God, who ties the Bengals? If the Eagles are going to be losing a lot, which appears to be the case, you have to consider Greg Ward, although they do play like a murderer's row of matchups coming up. I believe in no particular order, their next three games are San Francisco next, then Pittsburgh, then the Ravens, I think is the exact order. That is an impossible task for Carson Wentz, who I think isn't maybe as good as he was billed to be, you know, based on that pseudo MVP season before he gets injured. But he is not being given a lot to work with and just faces a miserable stretch of games. Then he finally gets into his own division and has some easier matchups. So maybe that's a reason not to be in on Greg Ward. But if you're looking to pick up targets off the waiver wire, you can't pick up more targets than getting Greg Ward. And I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what fantasy points are based on. Yeah, my goodness, this Eagles team has not set up Carson Wentz for success. He's three starting offensive linemen on injured reserve. Now he's down Jalen Rieger, Deshaun Jackson, Dallas Goddard, still waiting on the prognosis for those players to see how long they'll be out. So he's really working with their their top three wide receivers and snaps yesterday were Greg Ward, John Hightower, and uh, the third one is escaping me, but it's not someone that you should be actually interested on the waiver wire. And I mean, anytime your number one receiver is former AAF superstar Greg Ward, I don't know how hard you're grinding amateur football, Kyle, but I'm in those AAF streets playing that DFS when it was around. Greg Ward was like seventh in yards per route run from the slot. He's not anything that was even fantastic in the the exhibition football. So, you know, Greg Ward, questionable talent, but you're right about him walking into targets. I had a bet on that game. The over-under was 46 and a half. It goes to overtime. I'm like, all right, I locked in the over. And then they tie. Anyway, so we 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 missed Justin Jefferson. He's another guy. I think if he's on your waiver wire, he was someone that was widely dra- drafted across leagues but dropped in many. He comes in and replaces Ola B.C. Johnson. He ends up nine targets, seven catches, 175 yards, and a score. We know Minnesota is a run-heavy team, and they're generally not playing with the kind of tempo and pass heaviness that we saw in week three. Any interest in Justin Jefferson? Yeah, definitely, you know, some interest, not, you know, a passing level of interest. I would probably still say Greg Ward on a team that's going to be losing and passing a lot would be my preferred pickup, but there's undoubtedly more upside with Justin Jefferson. Guy, they spent first-round capital on and absolutely killed in LSU. As opposed to Greg Ward, which, like you said, he wasn't even like he wasn't even an AM darling. So it's clear that one of these players is immensely, immensely talented. I just think opportunity would be on the side of Greg Ward. But if you're only looking for upside, say you're set at receiver and really the additions you're making right now are for week seven, week 10 guys who could break out long term. Justin Jefferson, undoubtedly, without a doubt, has the more long term upside. If one of these guys is going to be a week in and week out receiver, too, it's definitely Justin Jefferson. Greg Ward buys you more targets for the next few weeks. But long term, Justin Jefferson, more upside. And as much as, you know, I've talked up Greg Ward's volume, I think I'd, I'd probably go Justin Jefferson here. Just I don't see there being a fun ceiling for Greg Ward, whereas like Jefferson is incredibly talented. He actually does have a weekly ceiling. He made one really he gets kind of this moniker as like a slot only receiver. And in his final season, at LSU, he did play slot only, essentially. But before that, he had moved around the field and he made like a beautiful contested catch down the field on the like the left side of the field deep. He can do it all, even though we didn't entirely see that in his final season at LSU. Justin Jefferson, probably one of the best upside pickups, I would say, outside of maybe you could argue T. Higgins, one of the best upside receivers to pick up this week. Yeah, if you're talking long-term stashes, really these receivers that could grow into a major role, I think you are prioritizing Higgins and Jefferson over a guy like Greg Ward, who we really know who he is at this point. 
Outside of that, we had Mike Williams go down with a hamstring. I'm not sure there's going to be one receiver that steps up and fills that workload for him. Also not sure what the prognosis is long-term. Watch the, the waiver or watch the injury report to see what the deal is with Mike Williams moving forward. We also had Jordan Reed go down with an injury. Kittle's already hurt. So that allowed Ross Dwelly, little superstar from last year on, yeah, I think like a one game slate, Ross Dwelly was like the chalk in DFS or something, but he's back. He caught four, four targets for 49 yards. Maybe you take a look at him if you're super desperate at tight end. Otherwise, Tariq Cohen, Cohen is believed to have a torn ACL. I don't really think this shakes up the Bears' backfield too much. Maybe you're interested in David Montgomery, but still knowing you're probably picking up on the waiver wire. And then lastly was Chris Carson, who has what is believed to be a nice brain. Last report I saw is that he's a chance to play week four. Any other takeaways here? Yeah, like you said, Cohen, like, you know, he wasn't getting used a ton anyways, which is incredible given like it was like 17 million extension, I think, 9 million guaranteed, you know, and, and good for him, of course, like, you know, regardless of whether I think he's a good player or not, you know, get that money, especially good timing to get that guaranteed money down. But he wasn't hardly getting much run anyways. There's a few targets game and a few carries. Maybe that splits a little bit to Dave Montgomery. We could also see some more Cordero Patterson. And in terms of Chris Carson, yeah, initially the injury was quite scary for me, like a miserable dirty hit from a... Cowboys D tackle, but all signs point to at most it being a one to two week injury. And like you said, he could play Carlos Hyde would be the pickup right there. DJ Dallas also has some pass catching chops. I think it gets split and, and man, without, you know, without Chris Carson, you thought you were seeing Russell Wilson cook. Now imagine what they do if they just don't run the ball at all. Carlos Hyde probably does get some run. And I think he like Chris Carson isn't that special. So Carlos Hyde can certainly fill in what 80, 90% of the production that car, uh, Chris Carson was giving you. So hide a good one or two week pickup, but again, not super long term. No, no real running back news that I think like you have to be jamming in. Like you should have just blown your fab on Mike Davis. That should have been the move. And if you missed out on that, I don't know. Tough luck. If Daryl Henderson is still out there, Daryl Henderson was clearly the lead back. He was dominant at Memphis. Like he was an exciting prospect coming in. Absolutely blew it his rookie year when they needed him most because Todd Gurley was essentially dust by last year. They couldn't even give Henderson 50 touches. They just didn't feel confident getting him the ball. Now it feels like they're ready to ease him into that role. Cam Akers, once he comes back, certainly could. I mean, he will. He will play a factor in this offense. But if Henderson keeps playing like this, it like we saw it last year. We saw that the team does not feel the need to just jam in a rookie specifically because they spent day two picks on him. That same argument can be applied to Cam Akers if Henderson keeps playing well. He's probably rostered in most leagues at this point because we knew he was going to have a role coming into the season. And then it appeared that, you know, Cam Akers out, he was going to get that role last week. But if he is available, he's probably the number one waiver wire pickup. Maybe like Miles Gaskin. I just, I don't know how I feel about tying myself to Miami backs. I, I completely understand that sentiment, especially when Ryan Fitzpatrick is out there acting like a fullback. But I think the last overarching, you know, big news takeaway, and then we'll start diving into some position by position talk is, it's not really news from this week. It's just Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, a number of players that missed this week's game were this close to playing. Like they were game time decisions. Michael Thomas got a second opinion on his ankle. It looks like he'll be ready tentatively for week four. Devontae Adams was on the cusp of playing himself. A few other guys, like perhaps George Kittle returns. That should allow a little more flexibility with your lineups. You shouldn't have to attack the waiver wire. With it is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Such immediate needs this week if you're rostering mm-hmm. some of these guys. So I think taking the long-term approach and trying to prioritize uh, Justin Jefferson, uh, T. Higgins could be the route to take. Any last overarching takeaways before we get into some position by position? No, I like that. This is a week to kind of get ahead of your opponents by making some some sneakier, not you know necessarily pressing week four needs and just try and bank some long-term upside as opposed to there's not really a ton of news worth going blowing the entire fab on. So, so make some long-term moves and find find playoff edges against your league mates on the waiver wire this week. For sure. Let, let's talk some QBs then. There are some QBs in some tough matchups, you know, per usual. And then, of course, there's a few guys injured, you know, like Jimmy Garoppolo. There's a few guys disappointing. However, we also have some matchups that I think are pretty tantalizing and some, some quarterbacks that are widely available on the waiver wire. We kind of siphon these guys out based on their percent owned. So everyone we talk about today will be at least – 50% owned or less in standard leagues. So my first question, if you are streaming a quarterback, say, you know, you unfortunately had Jimmy Garoppolo for some reason, or you, you just have somebody like Carson Wentz, who's really disappointed to start the year. Who's the number one target on the waiver wire for quarterbacks. So right now looking at the guys under 50%, it's Baker Mayfield says, and baby faces Dallas, a defense that just continues to get run over. And they played good opponents who, you know, probably should be running over a lot of the defenses they face. But Dallas just getting beat up and they play in a game environment typically where when you face Dallas, you have to score a lot of points. It wasn't necessarily as quite a, quite of an explosion from Dallas last week as it was in the, in the weeks prior. But I always want to have my my offense facing another good offense when they're a bad defense. It helps. I know the Browns are typically going to trend towards a run first approach or at least a, a more run heavy approach than most teams. But Mayfield does have the weapons since that week one meltdown. He's looked better, not perfect, but better. And man, I just love Baker Mayfield. I think he's an incredibly flashy, fun player, which is good for fantasy, certainly makes mistakes. But in fantasy, mistakes don't really punish you in terms of actual points. So I'm fine with going with maybe a riskier approach in Mayfield as opposed to, I would say, I would say Teddy Bridgewater out there is probably a safer play. I just am not entirely sure I feel the upside that I do with Mayfield. I agree. I love Mayfield. And as far as game environment, you mentioned it going against Dallas. That opened up with a total north of 55 points. It's already sitting at 55 and a half points. Dallas is going to put up some points on Cleveland and it's going to be up to Baker Mayfield to keep pace there. So available in 43% of leagues. I think if you're streaming a quarterback, he's a very nice option. You have a couple other nice matchups. Kirk Cousins, he is 26% owned in seasonal fantasy leagues. He's taking on the Houston Texans. That game currently sits with a total of 51 and a half. So another pretty solid game environment. We know what the Vikings want to do. It's similar to Cleveland. They like to pound the ball. But when they're down and their defense is just so bad and so banged up right now that they often don't have any other chance unless they just throw the ball. So Kirk Cousins, I think, is an outside consideration. You also have Justin Herbert, two games, two, 300 yard passing days. The guy's a little reckless. I don't care. It's super exciting for fantasy. He brings life to Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. And then if you want to get super risky, I think Fitzpatrick is worth a look in another really nice game environment. 54 point total taking on the Seattle Seahawks. Fitzpatrick, just 7% owned in seasonal leagues. Any of them catch your eye? 
Yeah, of the lower owned guys, because Baker Mayfield comes in, you know, about two fifths of the league. So you're not going to be able to get him everywhere. Of the lower owned guys, man, I like Justin Herbert. I think out of all these guys, he has the most long term upside. I'm not sure I see Fitzpatrick holding that job the entire season. Kirk Cousins looked awful through two weeks and finally bounced back last week. But I think we could see more of that run first approach and uh, not great Kirk Cousins. Like Justin Herbert, despite, you know, maybe being in that sort of Josh Allen, Daniel Jones vein of aggressive and good for fantasy, but definitely making some mistakes. That's totally fine. We've seen that formula work out time in and time out. Herbert, like you said, back-to-back 300. He already has more. This is incredible. He already has more 300-yard games through two starts than Tyrod Taylor does in his entire career. I can't – I know Anthony Lynn said that Tyrod Taylor would be the starter when he returns. It ain't happening. He is not coming back to a starting role. Herbert is locked in as this team starter. He's got all the weapons in the world he could possibly want, and he's quite aggressive, available in you know essentially 80% of leagues. The guy who I actually think is one of the better long-term pickups of all of the streaming options we have. This LA team is not what we thought. And it's, you know, they do run a lot. We knew that, but they are running way faster than anyone could ever expect. They ran 74 plays again last week. Now through three weeks, they are third in the NFL in plays per game. Justin Herbert threw 49 passes last game. When he's in competitive games, this, this dude is going to be running a ton of plays he completed 35 of them, not to mention. That's a solid completion percentage. And he has the added bonus of giving you something on the ground. It's mm-hmm. not Kyler Murray. It's not Lamar Jackson. But it's maybe in the Josh Allen vein. That athleticism does add up. If you get 20 yards, that's you know a half a passing touchdown. And it is significant in the long term. He's a guy that can punch it in on the goal line. We saw him do it for Oregon. He put up three rushing touchdowns against my Badgers, so I'm very familiar. I love the long-term call of you know maybe playing the long game with Herbert and getting a starter, perhaps for the rest of the season, rather than just prioritizing for week one. Anyone else outside of you know Herbert, Mayfield, uh, Cousins, Fitzpatrick, any interest? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're fine pickups. I think I would definitely just rank them below. I would rank even Cousins' own slightly in a higher amount of leagues, probably just because we knew he was going to start week one as opposed to Herbert, where if you drafted him, you know, you had to essentially hold on to him. But I would imagine that, you know, waiver wires prove this out, that at some point Herbert is just a better fantasy option than Cousins and his ownership numbers rise higher than Cousins. He deserves to be there. So I'd say Cousins or Herbert is probably... I'd say maybe the number one pickup, Maker Mayfield, too. Then after that, they're more just spot starters. I don't want to be rostering Ryan Fitzpatrick for a full season. You know, just uh, it's it, it has, you know, he's his upside is awesome. But we've seen this time in and time out, time in and time out. Every season, like clockwork, you can set your you can set your watch to a week four blow up from Ryan Fitzpatrick and then bench in week six or something absurd like that. And obviously they have a quarterback who is their long term answer and two behind him. It's a good matchup against Seattle, so maybe there's another time you're okay going back to it. But how many more starts do you think you get? Five, six, four, seven, eight? I think you, you're – I'm almost positive you're getting, what, 13 more starts from Herbert, 13 more starts from Mayfield, and in certain games we'll have just as much upside as Fitzpatrick. So those guys are really one- to two-week rentals, him and Teddy Bridgewater, who will be the starter but just isn't as exciting of a passer. Agreed 100%. I love the call on Mayfield. If he's there, he's a great long-term option as well as this week. And Herbert offers a lot of untapped potential that we just haven't seen yet. Uh, Before we move on to the running back position, guys, Yahoo is the title sponsor today. They are the most trusted name in fantasy sports. Yahoo DFS now includes CSV uploads and CSV edit features for those looking to play multiple lineups. Make better choices. Choose Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Tonight's a big game. Make sure you are checking out Yahoo for their contest on the single game slate tonight. 
big, big matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and Baltimore Ravens. Pushing on to the running back position, man, a position with a lot of woes to start the year. Saquon Barkley goes down. Yeah, Saquon Barkley, there's probably a decent chance you were aggressively targeting Devontae Freeman or Deion Lewis on the waiver wire. That didn't necessarily work out. I think if you you targeted Jarek McKinnon or, or Jeff Wilson, I know they got there with touchdowns, particularly Jeff Wilson, who's shockingly active in the pass game, is really where you got it done. Maybe not the usage you were expecting out of those guys. So if you are still desperate for running backs, who is your number one priority this week among running backs less than 50% owned on the waiver wire? Yeah, Gaskin, Miles Gaskin would be the guy appears to be essentially operating as the lead back in Miami. I'm not sure how long that's going to last. They have other running backs that I think they would be fine using in Jordan Howard and Matt Breida, who they traded for in the offseason. But as long as the coaches are going to speak with their actions and give Miles Gaskin the workload, both as a rusher and a pass catcher, he deserves to be owned in every single league right now. He's coming under 50%, so we're allowed to talk about him. We won't get to talk about him next week because he will be up there with, you know, with guys like, you know, Deion Lewis from last week and, and Mike Davis as well. He will be, he's this week's version of those guys. I'm not quite as confident because I don't love attaching myself to, you know, the Miami offense, although they've looked fine in both of their past two weeks. Week one wasn't as good. So Gaskin probably is a guy you can feel comfortable flexing or I guess starting as your RB2 if you've been bitten by the injury bug. And I know some rosters have. So as far as just getting points on the board, Gaskin is clearly the guy. I don't think there are any other backs you can really bank in a lot of work. I would say Rex Burkhead, but James White isn't out because of an injury. He's out because of, of uh, personal issues, unfortunately. So he will come back at full health at some point and probably relegate Burkhead. Outside of that, I don't think you're getting many fantasy points next week off of the waiver wire running back. So if you need them, you know, you kind of have to shoot the fab on Gaston. It's true. And he's he's not even available in a lot of leagues. We're talking about a guy who's 47% owned. Gaskin really surprised me this week. He'd really just been the pass catching back and they'd been splitting the running game three ways prior to week three, where he handles 22 carries for a, a very, very efficient 66 yards. Still gets the five targets. So Miles Gaskin, he's in play, probably a flex RB2 consideration on a weekly basis, depending on the outlook of your team. But you mentioned it. Running back is going to be tough if you're prioritizing someone on the waiver wire. Good luck to you this week. Uh, you could still look to Jeff Wilson, who is 22%. He gets there with touchdowns, but we know that San Francisco is going to run so much that perhaps he's a weekly flex consideration. It looked like Jeremy McKinnon was working ahead of him to start that game. Outside of that, again, you're playing the long game here with running back. So maybe you're taking a shot on some of these guys with the hope that long-term they pan out. Someone that stands out to me is LaMichael Pirine, 6% owned across leagues. He gets nine carries. Now, Frank Orr is nothing special at this point in his career, but is there any chance that Michael P. Ryan ends up being the, the number one back here? Do you think he can beat out Frank Orr? I mean, he could beat out Frank Orr. I think he projects more as like a pass catching specialist with some running upside. I think in this final season of college, he caught like over 40, 40 attempts and logged like one drop on 50 some targets. He's a talented pass catcher coming out of Florida, but I don't know. Why are you? trying to play Jets players. I just can't imagine finding myself in a situation where the optimal play for my season-long lineup is to get any single Jets player in the lineup. I just can't envision a world where the Jets scoring, you know, seven points on a game, and I'm counting on Michael P. Ryan to get that one, despite the fact that they are losing by 20 points. I just can't find myself finding any reason to really get Jets on my roster. In fact, I'm like I'm actively jettisoning them off of my roster. Chris Herndon, get out of here. Like, you know, Jameson Crowder, 
fine if I want to keep holding on to him, but what does he return to? A bunch of targets from, like, you know, in a meaningless Jets game? It's fine, you know. I'd honestly rather just take the shots on Carlos Hyde and Jeff Wilson than go with any Jets player. It makes a lot of sense. Again, Kyle and I both want to stress playing the long-term game at the running back position this week. And if you're doing so, there's a few guys that might be able to step up for a larger workload. Someone that I had circled was Brian Hill. And he's not going to be the most attractive name on your waiver wire. You like him because he's actually splitting work with Todd Gurley a little bit. You know, Gurley carried 15, or excuse me, Gurley carried 14 times for 80 yards in week three. Brian Hill comes in, nine carries, 58 yards. They both have scores. You look to the receiving game, they both have a catch. Brian Hill actually had one more target than Gurley. It's a fairly even split right now. Slight edge to Gurley still, but I mean, if Gurley were to go down, this could be Brian Hill's backfield. We saw him disappoint in that role last year, but it still looks like he's getting a crack at it. What do you make of Brian Hill at this point? Yeah, Brian Hill, clearly the number two back. So should anything happen to Todd Gurley, I think there's no doubt that he would step into three down or a close enough to a three down role. You know what we can reasonably expect from a high end handcuff. And on the other hand, you know, he actually could just continue to push Todd Gurley, who not only is dealing with like it seems to be chronically dealing with knee injuries. So it would make sense that the team would want to limit his overall touches on the year, but could just be like a lesser running back than Brian Hill at this point in his career. It is very possible that Todd Gurley is just the average baseline or below baseline level player. And Brian Hill continues to eat into this role and becomes an actual time split on an offense that sure they want to pass a lot, but they also are going to score a decent amount of touchdowns on any given week. I think Brian Hill is probably just as good, if not a better starting running back than LaMichael P Ryan. And I would say his upside is being, you know, the one being the one running back, on a team that is so much better than the Jets. So Brian Hill, despite being owned in slightly less leagues than LaMichael P. Ryan, and this week that might not change, I would rather have him by, by a significant margin, in fact. Agreed. I, I like Brian Hill quite a bit. If you are if you need someone even to potentially start as a prayer flex play, yeah. you could do a lot worse. We have about 50 of you in the chat. Please hit that thumbs up button for Kyle and I and the entire Osmo team. One great way just to support us. Kyle, I have a sneaky pickup play for you at the running back position still. It is Anthony McFarland playing for Pittsburgh. We, we know the injury concerns with James Conner. Now, this was widely considered to be Benny Snell's backfield, at least as far as the handcuff goes. Benny Snell, fourth-round pick out of Kentucky in the 2019 draft. This team runs it back. They draft Anthony McFarland coming out of Maryland this year. Benny Snell. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seven carries, 11 yards. Anthony McFarland, six carries, 42 yards, showing off that explosive ability that he was known for coming out of college. It appears Anthony McFarland is working his way past Benny Snell, or at least on his way to doing so. Any interest there? Yeah, I would say you have to play in a fairly deep league because McFarland, James Conner is, as long as he's healthy, which I know is a statement that is difficult to consistently say, but as long as he is healthy, does appear to mostly operate as the three down, you know, workhorse back. And at least enough that you can't start anyone else in the backfield as long as Conner is active. But McFarland, I mean, you talk about his his stat line, his yards and carries 
from last week, how does 21 carries for 298 yards sound? That was his best stat line and a, just a stupid, monstrous stat line he posted versus Ohio State while playing at Maryland. Also has some pass-catching chops. I like his upside as a player. I'm not sure what the role is, but we talk about it playing the long-term game. He would be a really interesting player if anything happens to James Conner. I think there's a non-zero chance he pushes Connor for some, you know, pass catching work or some third down work. I don't think it ever ends up being enough that you're comfortable starting him. You'd probably still rather start a Brian Hill because he looks as, I don't know about the one B or the two, but a high end two in terms of in his backfield. McFarland clearly a step down from James Connor, but he has a ton of upside as a talent and Connor, like iconically one of the most injury Riddled players in the NFL has put together a handful of good weeks, and I'm excited because I have a lot of James Conner in best ball. But every time I see him carry, I just clutch my rosary beads and think, I don't, please don't limp. Please don't limp as he gets off the field. So McFarland, you have to play in a fairly deep league, but certainly worth looking at off the waiver wire. Again, the Anthony McFarland pickup is playing the long-term game. And at the running back position this week, not many injuries. It's one, I think, where the long-term game could be a priority for you. But before we move on to wide receiver, a fairly decent position on the waiver wire this week, I want to tell you about the Express Pass additions for Osmo.com. We've added some great new tools for our NFL Express Pass users. For only $3.95, you can purchase an NFL Weekly Express Pass, which now includes everything you need for NFL Showdown single game contest formats. You can now access Osmo's Showdown single game player projections, ownership projections, and top plays tool when you purchase this pass, in addition to player rankings, lineup builder light, ownership rankings, and the top stacks express tool. It's our best offering ever for an express pass. So head over to osmo.com backslash join today to purchase your 395 NFL express pass. Super, super important today, given the context of that Kansas City Baltimore game, the biggest showdown slate of the year to date. So make sure you check out there amazing tools that Alex Baker Osmo himself builds and uses looking at wide receiver. We touched on a lot of guys already. Some of the names on this list below 50% are just shocking to me guys that are wide receiver twos, maybe even wide receiver ones in their offense, given the, the injury layout of the league. Give me some of these wide receivers. Who are you targeting first and foremost? So Nikhil Harry and Alan Lazard are probably the top two options that, like you said, how are people like who, who are they rostering instead of these guys? Alan Lazard, we saw last night, explosive playmaking potential, even though Marcus Valdez-Scantling is kind of known as the downfield burner. Alan Lazard goes deep, too. Aaron Rodgers has just been incredibly aggressive throwing downfield. That works for both Lazard and Valdez-Scantling. And honestly, like up until essentially it was two or three weeks ago. Lazard was kind of just looked better as the second receiver opposite Devontae Adams. If there was one of them that I would expect to have a more consistent role going forward, assuming Adams returns this week or even next week, it would probably be Alan Lazard. He like surprisingly, they picked up off the Jags like practice squad and almost immediately started getting snaps for them. Like he was essentially, I think last season or last off season was his first off season with the team. The more practice reps, the more game time action he gets with Aaron Rodgers, I think it'll only be better for him. An explosive playmaker, I think both him and Valdez Scantling are worth rostering. But Lazard is, you know, he's free in half of league, so absolutely go get him. Nikhil Harry, you know, he's he's all right. He busted really hard as a rookie last year. I liked him coming out of school, but that, you know, the doing nothing in your first year is a horrible sign. He's been good up until this week, essentially, where he got four targets, but that was still second on the team. I mean, you know, Rex Burkett, 10 targets was insane. 
that crowded out a lot of the other options. I think Julian Edelman only saw like six targets as well. So given the context of the game, his four targets and I believe two catches isn't, you know, it's not disastrous. No receiver really had a great game for New England. Definitely worth an add. Not quite as excited about him as I would be Lazard. For sure. And if you were digging into the right statistics, I know you were on this last week, so props to you. I was able to get Lazard in some places. Lazard was always running more routes than Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had scored a few more touchdowns and received a few more targets. But digging into the weeds there, you saw that Alan Lazard was actually on the field more than MVS. So he was the priority at last week. And if he's still available, prioritize him this week. This Green Bay team has thrown the ball more than we expected to start the year. Adams will be back, but that doesn't mean Alan Lazard isn't usable. Nikhil Harry... Better days will be ahead for Nikhil Harry. Cam Newton had a couple turnovers. It was just not his best day overall. The target share is still what we like in that offense, and he is certainly getting it. So I think Nikhil Harry is still fine to add on waivers. Both of them are right around 45% owned in season leagues. Behind them, we start getting to receivers that, you know, maybe there's not as much to like about them, but they still do have some pretty solid long-term promise. And you said, I wonder who these guys are rostering over Alan Lazard and Nikhil Harry. The first guy that popped into my mind is is Jamison Crowder, who's like semi-owned in these leagues. And if you have Jamison Crowder, drop him immediately from one of these guys. Like, Yeah, the two I, guys we've talked about for sure. Take those guys over Jamison Crowder. You don't hold on. Jamison Crowder, eight targets per game. It's like a 3.0 A dot with a, a two-touchdown expectation on the year. And he already has one of them. So just drop Jamison Crowder if you have any chance at these guys. Anyway, Christian Kirk is 42% owned. Uh, we've, we've slandered Christian Kirk a little bit on this program already, but jokes aside, he is still the wide receiver too. When healthy in this offense, I think he's a pretty safe look on the waiver wire. Unless we see Andy Isabella start to eclipse him. Justin Jefferson, 30% owned in seasonal leagues, strong path to wide receiver to play here for Minnesota year. You're, you're a little bit worried about what they like to do very run heavy team, but their defense doesn't exactly project to help them play that way. As bad as they are again, replacing four starters in their secondary, they had two starters out this past week in their secondary with Mike Hughes and Cam Dantzler. If that continues, Justin Jefferson should have some weekly viability just with the team throwing the ton. Preston Williams, wide receiver two in Miami. He's 30%. LaVisca Chenault disappointed in the spotlight on Thursday night football, 29%. And perhaps my favorite, you got to get your take on this guy, Kyle. Brandon Ayuk was making some jokes on Twitter today that Brandon Ayuk is everything that the people want Curtis Samuel to be. Brandon Ayuk's snap share rose this week. He sees eight targets and he sees three carries, 31 yards and a touchdown on the ground. In addition to his eight targets, which led San Francisco had the five catches, 70 yards ends up with a touchdown and over a hundred all purpose yards. They don't have anyone else. So Ayuk, I think is someone you could use immediately. Yeah. I, you, you said it. They don't have anyone else. Even if George Kittle comes back, they don't have any other receivers. I know Debo Samuel is eligible to return this coming week, but I know they talked about him eyeing a return after that, just to be on the safe side of his injury. So you could get, you are probably getting at least one more week of Ayuk as the clear number one wide receiver on this team. And if he plays well, there's no reason that you can't expect the potential for him to continue to push Debo Samuel, even after Samuel returns. And there's no guarantee that Samuel returns to a large workload workload in week five or even week six. It could be a few weeks before he gets adjusted to coming back from this foot injury. So I would say Ayuk is probably one of the higher upside picks below him. Like, we have Preston Williams on here. Honestly, I'm not that interested in Preston Williams, clearly operating as like the two and they rotate who they get targets to a lot. Much rather have IU. LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark was out. He had an okay game. Honestly, the Jags offense, it's going to be fine if they can play in competitive games, but it's just not aggressive enough to ever really make you know significant comebacks. So if they play teams that I don't think are going to kill them, which is 
some teams some teams should kill them because they're the freaking Jaguars. If they play in close enough games, I don't mind getting LaVisca Schnold in, and you get a handful of extra carries as well, which is nice. Not a much, but, you know, it's a few points here or there. Yeah, LaVisca Schnold, the problem is, and you hit this, they're just not aggressive. He's not getting targeted downfield. He is seeing those Jameson Crowder-esque targets, and they're not coming even as frequently as, you know, a guy like Crowder would receive them. The carries are fine in the backfield, but how efficient are these? And the long-term Schnold is still a long-term play more than anything else. He's, he's not exactly the most usable guy on a, a week to week basis. Once we get into some really low owned plays here, you know, Michael Pittman is someone you could maybe look at for Indianapolis still dealing with some injuries, but he still did not absorb a massive workload of 18% owned for him. T Higgins, 5% more of a long-term play, but he's slowly working his way into, you know, a full-time role in this offense. If we look to what T Higgins did just, just this week, I have his, his snap shares basically throughout the year. Week one, he played 22% of snaps, zero targets. Week two, 65%, six targets. Week three, 79%, nine targets. This is a clear ascendance in this offense for T. Higgins. I think for a guy who's 5% owned, he's arguably one of the top wide receiver pickups this week. I think I would prioritize him over the likes of Preston, over Chenault, maybe even over IU, just because long-term, you mentioned Debo Samuel coming back. There's some questions there. Talk me off the T Higgins ledge, man. I think I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah, outside of you know, let's cut the let's make the cutoff. You know, 31. percent So anyone 30 percent and under, I think only really Justin Jefferson is anyone who I would consider taking over T Higgins. The offense is going to be so much more conducive to overall volume. Like Brandon Ayuk's offense is built on being an efficient running offense and getting a handful of targets to guys who can produce yak, and they have a target fiend in George Kittle whenever he's healthy. On the other hand, like T Higgins, they have uh, like. Tyler Boyd is a, a talented slot receiver, actually got like 13 targets, but he's not a guy who you can rely on to gain chunk yardage. You know, he's not going to be this outside downfield burner. He's not going to be what we thought A.J. Green would be. A.J. Green isn't going to be what we thought A.J. Green would be. That leaves T. Higgins as really the primary outside option, you know, unless A.J. Green finds a way to turn it around, which I, honestly I don't think happens at this point. T. Higgins is the primary outside receiver for Joe Burrow, who's attempting over 47 pass attempts per game so far. It's insane how how much they are passing. And he hasn't looked averse to going downfield. So I think T. Higgins probably the premier pickup outside of Justin Jefferson, who I do think, you know, kind of has a similar target projection. He has a little less competition, but he also doesn't have as large of a pie to eat from because his offense isn't going to throw 47 times a game. So I would say still take Justin Jefferson. One also has the draft capital advantage as well. So Justin Jefferson, one T Higgins, two, if you're looking at guys who aren't basically Lazard or Harry. For sure. After that, it's, it's probably, I don't know, Maybe Ayuk three for me, but you know it, it gets tough after that. Ayuk's still more of your rental rather than a long-term play. I do like his upside, but Debo coming back sort of puts a ceiling on that. As far as just true dart throws, we have a couple other guys listed. Andy Isabella, we're just not sure what his long-term viability is at this point, but he played well on his limited snap share. Greg Ward with Alshon coming back and hopefully Deshaun Jackson's injury is not severe. Greg Ward should be relegated to a, a situational player. Alameda Zacchaeus, he will retake the bench, assuming Gage and Julio Jones are, are able to play. Any interest in some of these fringe guys? I still have Jalen Rieger on this list just because who is Philly going to turn to once he's healthy? I, I think he could play a large role down the stretch. Yeah, I'm just not sure what the long-term outlook is for him in terms of the health. Like, obviously, his talent is there. One guy I actually literally was just pulling up right now, and it's because we talked about him on our showdown show a little bit earlier, and I'm sure I'll talk about him again tonight on Live Before Lock. On Yahoo, at least, Miles Boykin owned at, at 4% right now. 
He's clearly operating as the number two, and tonight of all nights, he's in an absolute smash spot. And I swear, I'm in this Yahoo League that lets you cut players who have already played. I have Deshaun Jackson. I'm actually going to add Miles Boykin for Deshaun Jackson right now. I, I honestly don't even know how much Deshaun Jackson plays for the rest of the year. The injury didn't seem to be a long-term issue, but like no long-term issue has ever held Deshaun Jackson out from missing a bunch of games. And then there's the the downside that he does come back and get injured again. It seems like no matter what he does, it just health is not going to be on his side. So uh, honestly, right now, as we speak, I am cutting him for Miles Boykin because uh, let's you do that, I guess. Yeah. There, there's some sneaky viability to, to cutting some players ahead of Monday night games. If you are allowed to in your leagues, just why not? If someone gets hurt, you can get a leg up on your league mates, but let's, let's move over to the, the tight end position, one I think that we have more viability streaming on a weekly basis. But before we do that, again, free stuff almost every day at Osmo.com. Today, we have top showdown in single game plays for DraftKings and FanDuel. Couldn't be a better day to get these. Ravens, Chiefs, we have free showdown in single game plays tonight for DraftKings and FanDuel. Great resource to use for your lineups. Make sure you're checking those out. As for the tight ends. This position, you know, a, a lot of people do have to target this on the waiver wire just because of the, the volatility at the tight end position. And the, the top two guys on our list, man, they've been through some early season struggles. We have Logan Thomas for the Washington football team, 33% owned in seasonal leagues. We have Chris Herndon, 32% owned for the New York Jets. Both of them are on the field seeing decent opportunity. The problem is their offenses are so inefficient, they're not actually able to turn that into box score production. There's a couple of guys lower on this list, particularly Dalton Schultz, who's playing for just an offense firing in all cylinders in Dallas that I would rather have over Thomas and Herndon. What do you think of these three? Am I crazy for ranking Schultz above them? No, honestly, we've seen it through both of these guys. I love Chris, or I love Logan Thomas. Actually, at some point, I did think Chris Herndon had some potential, but neither of their offenses, despite, especially for Logan Thomas, the target share and their air yard share looking impressive as far as tight ends go. I mean, what what scenario do you have where you actually feel confident in starting players that are getting passes from Dwayne Haskins? Those are targets, but they're not targets in the way we normally think of targets. They're not Deshaun Watson targets, not Ben Roethlisberger targets. They're Dwayne Haskins targets. And Dwayne Haskins is bad, and that means his targets are bad. So honestly, even though Schultz is going to have much lower market share numbers, you get so much more potential on a target to Dalton Schultz that, yeah, he's a guy I'd look to. Same thing can be said for Eric Ebron, who actually, I think he was tied in uh, the league or the league, the team lead in targets at, I think, seven when uh, Deontay Johnson went out with a concussion. Not a long-term issue to concussion for most players, not a long-term issue, but it could, you know, a short-term spike for Eric Ebron's targets. And he plays it on offense that can certainly put up touchdowns. Honestly, it's so disappointing to say because I think Chris Herndon and Logan Thomas could ultimately be as or more talented than other tight ends that we're going to talk about. Their offenses are just too miserable to really get excited about. I'd take Ebron and Schultz over them in addition to, honestly, like Robert Tanya and Jordan Aikens kind of fall in that same tier of certainly not the same talents, but good offenses are so much better than the Jets. Yeah, for sure. Listen, man, I think Eric Ebron is arguably the best tight end pickup on the entire week. I, I was giving Dalton some Schultz, Dalton Schultz some love because he's kind of in that same range as, uh, you know, opportunity-wise as Thomas and Herndon. Eric Ebron, I had to look this up. It really shocked me. People think of him as a part-time player splitting time with Vance McDonald, but coming into week three, this is before the, the Deontay Johnson injury, Eric Ebron was already running a route on 74% of Ben Roethlisberger dropbacks. That's a full-time player in this offense. That's like Dallas Goddard-esque route running. He only had seven targets on the year, but again, if you want to look at some of these underlying statistics that help predict 
future production, 74% of routes coming into the week was very nice. And then we see him turn that into how many targets did he have this week? Do you know off the top of your head? I, I thought he had seven targets. Yeah, and it was tied with uh, James Washington, actually, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at right now. Seven yeah, targets for Ebron. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I'm not sure it's a long-term thing because Deontay Johnson will eventually return from this concussion if he doesn't return this week, which is still in the cards. But it's still impressive, and he is not completely going unused with Deontay Johnson still in the lineup, as you said, in the first two weeks. He's on the field for, you know, majority of the passing down snaps. It certainly won't be quite as good, but his touchdown upside, you know, it just dwarfs Chris Herndon and Logan Thomas. And he does have a short-term increase spike with Deontay Johnson out. So I would say Eric Ebron... I think you can make the argument for Dalton Schultz as the better pickup, but both of these two guys are, I'm totally fine with starting if I've had a handful of injuries or if I thought that Chris Herndon was the answer. And clearly at this point, no Jets are the answer. <laughs> I, yeah, that is a safe assumption. Now, there's a few tight ends on the waiver wire that are just gross, gross plays. I wouldn't consider them outside of deep leagues, but one in particular that's seeing some absurd usage considering what this guy's play is like recently. Jimmy Graham had 10 targets in week three. And this isn't a complete anomaly. The guy has seven targets in week one. He's playing a significant role for the Bears. I, I don't know what the Bears are doing from a team-building perspective, but as far as fantasy football goes, Jimmy Graham is getting the rock on probably more plays than he should, but it's at least worth mentioning he's only 8% owned in leagues. You could certainly look to him as a flyer, just there's not a lot of tight ends getting that volume. As far as a, another couple of deep players, Jordan Aikens is 6%, the primary Texans tight end. He's not getting as much volume as some guys. Robert Tanyan popped off for a pretty decent game last night. He seems to have fully beaten up Jay Sternberger, who was once a promising second-year player. Any interest in just the fringy tight ends that are more or less just complete darts? Yeah, I mean, I have some, like, uh, tight end premium teams that I certainly I, – I have actually – I have had, I think, all three of these players on one specific FFPC mm -hmm. team where I did draft a ton of tight ends. Uh, and, yeah, you could look to them. They all have touchdown upside, you know, Jordan Akins and Tanyan more so, I would say, just because they play with awesome quarterbacks and they're getting the majority of the receiving down snaps. You know, Robert Tanyan clearly beat up Jay Sternberger. Darren Fells largely, you know, gets some red zone work, but largely at like 6'7 and 270 or something absurd. It's just a blocker. So Akins, you know, both these guys are going to be on the field for most or at least, uh, you know, a plurality of their team's receiving down snaps. Not awfully exciting, but, you know, essentially one touchdown is all you need to win or at least be competent at the tight end spot in most leagues. If you somehow come this far, these guys are certainly worth at least looking at, although we haven't had a ton of tight end injuries. I guess if you had George Kittle and you picked up Jordan Reed afterwards, these guys, I would probably still take over Ross Dwelly, I guess is the line I draw. <laughs> For sure. I, you know, we're starting to talk about Robert Tanya and Jimmy Graham. I, I think we've we've absolutely touched on most of the guys you should be considering at tight end. Why don't we move over to defense, another widely streamable position on a week-to-week -week basis, and probably at this point in the season, the one you're actually looking to stream more often than anything else. Uh, as usual, there's defenses that find themselves in solid matchups. Last week, if you were streaming, Tampa Bay was widely available on the waiver wire, and that was an absolutely phenomenal matchup for them. They got there. Indianapolis was widely available last week. Uh, unfortunately, this week, you know, I, I had them circled as a, a team facing Chicago, they're 92% they're owned now, so you're not going to get any luck with Indy. But I, I do think there's some intrigue to some bad defenses and good matchups. You know, Denver's facing the New York Jets. Anytime you get a team facing the Jets, it's going to draw some intrigue. The Denver Broncos, their defense is entirely hurt, but, I mean, they still have talented players like Bradley Chubb. He's going to give the Jets trouble. Sam Darnold just doesn't look like an NFL passer at this point. So there's some, some consideration there. Jacksonville's facing a Cincinnati team that's going to throw 
so, so many times. So the opportunities will be there. Where are you looking to for defense on the waiver wire? Yeah, I mean, Denver is the priority pickup. The Jets are, I would say, clearly by a significantly, like a, a significantly wide margin, the worst offense and the worst team in the NFL. Put up, I believe, seven points against Indy last week. Really, anytime you can play, I don't care what defense it is. I don't care if you believe Carolina or Jacksonville are the worst talent-wise defenses in the NFL. Denver dealing with some injuries obviously gets up there in terms of the, the lack of talent. It doesn't matter. When you can face Sam Darnold running the plays you know, under an Adam Gase offense, you absolutely have to do it when you look at how beat up their weapons are. All the more reason to be jamming in any defense facing the Jets. Just a truly miserable NFL offense right now. So I don't care if it's like, you know, an XFL or an AAF defense, they're probably going to have an okay game against the jets outside of that. Jacksonville versus NC is maybe an upside play because you are going to get a lot of Joe Burrow dropbacks, like, you know, averages over 47 attempts per game. And although that can be scary because that like passing is the more efficient way to move the ball, it does give you a decent amount of upside. So I think that's at least worth considering. Although Jacksonville's defense kind of, uh, you know, dealing with the lack of talent of their own right now. Yeah, that, that Cincy O-line is one I have circled to as one to target yeah, all year. Yeah. They're, they're an O-line that definitely is giving up pressure. Outside of that, most of the defenses that we want to target are already widely owned. Of course, Baltimore is facing the football team. Arizona, Carolina, you might be able to get them. Indianapolis is facing Chicago. They're widely owned at this point in the year. You know, a team that's available on some waiver wires, it doesn't quite meet our threshold. 55% owned would be the LA Rams. They're taking on the New York Giants, who basically lost to the second team for the San Francisco 49ers last week. So if you can get the LA Rams, I would rank them number one, followed by Denver. And then after that, you know, it's a, it's a little bit tougher on the waiver wire this week. Thoughts on the Rams? Yeah, the Giants, not nearly as bad as the Jets, but Daniel Jones at, at some points just kind of looks lost out there. Is a guy who's known at least last year for not being able to feel pressure in the slightest, takes a lot of sacks, led the league in fumbles last year. Just uh, like he's kind of what everyone rags on Josh Allen for being, at least coming into the year. He kind of is the epitome of that Josh Allen style, whereas now Josh Allen actually is just good, apparently. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of another player that you just want to generally target with your defense. And the Rams, although, you know, maybe not a perfect defense, do have some talent on their roster. So I would say that's one of the other premier matchups you can face basically any week. I don't kind of care what defense it is. I generally want to play defenses facing Daniel Jones. Absolutely, especially given their offensive line concerns as well. The reason we don't have as many defenses on the waiver wire that we want to target this week, there's four or five games with totals above 50 points already, which brings us to our sneaky look ahead spots. This is the segment of the show where if you need to take a dart throw on one of these players, maybe in a crowded situation, we want to target some positive game environment. And we have a number of them here, a couple standout totals at this point in the week, Cleveland taking on Dallas 55 and a half point total. We saw Cedric Wilson, for Dallas, who we notably don't have on our waiver show, I think because I widely still feel, view Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb to be the top three receivers, but maybe some interest there if you want to take a flyer from the Dallas game. Dalton Schultz would be much more the flyer I consider there. Seattle-Miami, 54-point total. There are options on Miami available on the waiver wire. We talked about Fitzpatrick. We talked about Preston Williams and Miles Gaskin. That's a very nice matchup against Seattle, a team that's given up a ton of production this year. Greg Olson, also widely available for Seattle if you're looking for a punt tight end this week. Great matchup against Miami. Any sneaky look-ahead spots that you're considering any of those ancillary plays in those games you like? Yeah, I will say in the Cleveland-Dallas one, this is kind of the perfect scenario to get some Kareem Hunt in your lineups because he's a guy who I actually have in a decent amount of leagues because although he was expensive, I thought he could have a role, which seems to be the case. And obviously he has such contingent value if anything happens to Nick Chubb. 
this does set up with, you know, Dallas, I assume being the favorite here as a team that uh, like yes. Kareem Hunt in a, in an underdog situation is probably when you want to be playing. And we saw last week, he didn't get much work. He luck boxes into a touchdown, essentially on a, on a receiving catch. But, uh, this is kind of the perfect shot to get Kareem Hunt in your lineups, both an awesome total and Cleveland as the underdogs. Nick Chubb, I don't think you're benching him by any means, but Kareem Hunt is a guy who kind of exists on the fringes, especially if you have a good running back core, exists on the fringes of being a starter or not. So I would say this is kind of the perfect time to start him. And as long as Christian Kirk is out, you know, get Andy Isabel in your lineups. Just do it. You'll, you'll thank me later. I know he's going to get like three targets, but he's going to score maybe five times on those three targets. That's another game we have on our list. It's Arizona taking a Carolina, a 51 and a half point total right now. So you can get Andy Isabella on your waiver wire. Uh, again, I want to project in some fluidity with these situations. While Keyshawn Johnson played ahead of him last week, Andy Isabella played so well. I think there's at least a decent shot that he ends up getting more snaps this week. Houston taking on Minnesota, another game with a 51 and a half point total. This is prime Justin Jefferson territory. If you pick him up, I think you can fire him into your lineup right away. Kansas City taking on New England is a game without a total right now. On most books, at least, that is because Kansas City still has to play tonight. There's some ancillary pieces you can target in that game. Nikhil Harry, under 50% owned in leagues. If you want to get really frisky with it, Demarcus Robinson, available for the Chiefs. Those are two guys I would potentially look to. And Atlanta Green Bay, this is a game that also doesn't have a total. It, it's probably come out since the show started, but you know, with Atlanta's defense, I was anticipating it being around 50. Now, this Atlanta team... Without Julio Jones and Russell Gage, we're not sure how long. Alameda Zacchaeus could be viable in this spot, depending on who's available, depending on who's not. For Green Bay, we hit on Lazard already. He should be owned in 50% of leagues, and he's just flat out not. You're firing up Lazard this week, I think, whether Devontae Adams plays or not. What do you think about those last final plays? Yeah, Alan Lazard, and I think even, honestly, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who I'm not quite as excited about, facing this terrible Atlanta defense. We saw Nick Foles coming in. It, lead it what is Atlanta doing come on you got to be better than that Atlanta Nick Foles can't come in and lead a comeback against you imagine if that's what Nick Foles can do he throws three scores and I think there was another one by Mitchell Trubisky what is what is Aaron Rodgers he's going to shred them he's going to eat them alive so even if Devontae Adams comes back both of the Green Bay receivers that are not Devontae Adams are still viable starts and Alan Lazard should be owned in essentially every league for sure I love Lazard that Atlanta Falcons team I mean I saw some really funny stuff, just like they are petitioning the NFL to shorten games to 50 minutes. Their defense just can't stop anybody right now. They are one of the most injured defenses in the entire NFL. But that'll do it for myself and Kyle today. Of course, if you haven't heard, Osmo has a fantastic podcast network. You can check out all of this content on anywhere you get podcasts. Just if you can't catch the YouTube shows live, it is a great way to consume content on your drives, anything like that. Bunch of shows later today, PGA, DFS First Look. And of course, Kyle... You were on the Live Before Lock show, right? I am on the Live Before Lock show talking about what is like, might as well be called the Super Bowl. It's a shame that both these teams, Ravens and Chiefs, play in the AFC because uh, they're probably the two best teams in the league by a considerable tier break. Yeah, so if you're playing Showdown tonight, which you should be, make sure you check out the free content on Osmo.com. Showdown content tonight. Make sure you check out the Express Pass rankings and Kyle show later. You can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. He is at Kyle Tweets here. Thank you guys. We'll be back again next week. Have a good one.